This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to speak with a expert on unemployment, Michelle Evermore, about what independent contractors might be entitled to. We're also going to react to Bob Arum slamming UFC President Dana White and We'll have some updates on the John Jones situation, both with his plea agreement as well as his statement. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 3 p.m. right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. All right, joining me now on the hotline, uh, this is an interesting one, right? So let me give you her title first. Senior Researcher and Policy Analyst at the National Employment Law Project. I think I got that right. A lot of different words here. I got to make sure I... I remember, uh, memorize. More importantly, this is funny. This is a true story. We were looking for somebody who was an unemployment expert because we wanted to talk about this package and the relief that was uh, available to independent contractors. I randomly found this place and they gave us back somebody who I used to train with, if you can believe that. It is the one and only Michelle Evermore. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, Michelle. These are crazy times. How are you holding up in this uh, self-distancing age? Um, I'm doing well. Fortunately, unemployment insurance is taking up every hour of my attention, so I don't have time to focus on the, you know, truly scary nature of things. All right. Well, let's get to some of the details here. So before we talk about what independent contractors could or could not get and what makes them qualified and what doesn't, let's start with some of the basics. In terms of independent contractors, people, let's say maybe with gig jobs, what did the federal government pass? What, what is it called and how much money is allotted? So there's something called pandemic unemployment assistance. This is based on what's called disaster unemployment assistance, which is all which has been in law for, for for a long time that applies whenever a natural disaster kicks in. So all the language comes from disaster unemployment assistance, basically, but it, it applies to the pandemic. And so this is an add on to regular unemployment insurance. And it provides the exact same benefit that regular employment insurance would provide, but applies to independent contractors and self-employed folks. Now, my understanding is that's fairly novel, that people with this kind of employment status have heretofore not, um, sort of, I don't want to call this a great time to, to be one of those workers, but in terms of the relief package, this relief package is novel in that it addresses the needs of people who had an employment status that previously they would not have been eligible for benefits like that. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Um, people who are truly self-employed or who are independent contractors have are generally not eligible for unemployment insurance uh, on the grounds that it's pretty hard to fire yourself if you're truly self-employed. Uh, and so why the difference here? Because this is such a big sector of our economy. Um, what was the difference for Congress that this time they made sure those people were taken care of? We've always recognized that a natural disaster is something different than the regular course of the economy and that people become involuntarily unemployed in a disaster in ways that they couldn't predict. And so we've we've always tried to cover folks who become unemployed in a disaster, regardless of whether they have an employer or they're self-employed. All right. So before we get to what states might offer, because I know that there's that's part of the package. Well, there's that's another part of what they might be entitled to rather than what the federal government mm -hmm. mandated. Um, but let's start with the federal government. So what is the idea? If you're an independent contractor out there, you're out of work. What kind of relief are you entitled to with this package? 
So you'll get the regular state benefit for UI, whatever that amount would be if you had a, a, a W-2 job. You should be able to apply for the regular state benefit. Now, those state benefits vary state to state, but what the federal government has done is actually add another $600 a week to whatever you would be entitled to under, um, under the state UI formula. So that dramatically yeah. ramps up benefits. Now, what is the state UI formula based on? You said it varies state to state. Is there a sense of how much it varies, and, and what do they base it on? Uh, it varies quite a bit. For example, you know, I, I was just talking to somebody in Florida where their maximum benefit per week is $275. Now, I'm not really sure who can survive in Miami on $275 a week, but um, yeah, they vary quite a bit from state to state. Um, some states have very generous benefits, like Massachusetts. Um, and so uh, what this $600 is intended to do is increase the what they call the replacement rate. Um, on average, unemployment insurance benefits replace 45% of income. The idea is when somebody's unemployed in normal economic times, uh, they should get a benefit that will keep them going, but not enough so that it doesn't encourage them to be, look for work. Um, but right now, people just need to stay home. So the idea is to replace 100% of income for most people. Got it. Now, how long does this last? Uh, the $600 benefit uh, lasts until July 31. Uh, but the pandemic unemployment assistance base benefit extends to the end of the year, and people can receive it for up to 39 weeks. Wow. Okay. So even if they get back, well, if they get back to work, they're no longer eligible, right? Like, let's say all of a sudden they find yeah. a miracle drug tomorrow they that all the eligibility then goes away it does it does and in order to remain eligible for unemployment and insurance anywhere uh if you are offered a suitable job a suitable replacement from the job that you had before you can't refuse that and remain on unemployment insurance okay so let's get to some of the other details here now let's say i um I'm, well, i want to talk about fighters in just a second but let's say i'm a regular independent contractor whatever that may mean let's say i'm a freelance mm -hmm. journalist or something and all the work has dried up how do i go about applying to get this financial relief what, do I, what steps do i have to take well first of all keep track of however you get paid However it is that you know how much you're earning, you're gonna need to su submit that to the unemployment insurance agency. Um, this is very different than regular unemployment insurance where the agency has been getting taxes paid on your behalf and so they kind of have an idea that you exist and, and, and what you're earning. Um, so you need a lot of documentation about how much you've earned. Take that documentation to the online portal. Uh, you know, in any state, you can Google unemployment in your state, and you should be able to get to your unemployment insurance website. Um, go to that website with all of that documentation, and then proof that you can't work. Um, and so, for the pandemic unemployment assistance, uh, a lot of things count as proof that you can't work. You you have you could be diagnosed with COVID nineteen or sh uh, uh, sheltering self-quarantining for, for COVID-19, taking care of a family member with it. Um, if you were scheduled to start a job and you can't go because of COVID-19, you should be able to apply. Um, if you've become the breadwinner for a household because the head of household has died as a result of COVID-19, you should be able to apply. Um, or if you know if you just have, have quit your job as a direct result of COVID-19 or the place of employment is unavailable. Um, or any other criteria that shall be established by the Secretary of Labor, which um, you know we we do not have clear we, we do not have clear guidance yet from the Employment and Training Administration on this. 
Right. So there could be some some gray area in this, obviously, and it's still all kind of new. Now, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, getting documentation about how much you get paid. Uh, mm-hmm. How far back? Um, the I would keep documentation from the past 18 months and from every employer and um, maintain the or, or every income source, basically, um, if, if you are self-employed. Right. Because, look, some months I could make X and then some months I could make 5X, but the totality of 18 months gives a broader picture about what my general earnings might look like. Is that the idea? Exactly. Some states base your benefit on the highest quarter of earnings in the last year. Some states base it on the average of earnings in the past year. So you want to be able to have documentation of all of your income so that you can maximize your benefit. Uh, Okay, so now let's talk specifically about MMA fighters, because this is a really, really weird one. They are independent Mm -hmm. contractors, UFC, Bellator, I suppose. Um, Let's start with those kinds of tier of fighters. Uh, Mm -hmm. What do you do in a situation where um, the UFC is still trying to run shows, but you're also maybe under a state order where you're sheltering a place? What kind of guidance would you give someone in that kind of scenario? If you can't get to work because of the virus, if you if if you can't safely make it to where you're supposed to work, this should this should apply. This should cover um, workers. Um, and um, you know, j- j- just because I have a, a moment to express this, I you know, uh, compensation for fighters is is not sufficient. <laughs> um, so they should get as much of it replaced as possible. Does does not being able to get to the gyms because they are quite literally closed, does that count as not being able to work? Yes, absolutely. Right. So it's not merely like, oh, you had a fight and that got canceled or postponed or whatever. It's not merely that, but it's the actual day-to-day environment that makes that fight possible. That being taken away would be something that the federal government would look at as a reason to, to provide potential assistance. Yes, there's specific uh, there, there's a specific provision that says that if your place of employment is closed as a direct result of COVID-19, you would qualify for the pandemic unemployment assistance. Right. Um, okay. So, does your benefit change at all if you are head of household versus not? Because some fighters might be the only breadwinner in their house. Do they get more if they have children? Is, it, is there any change in that formula? In many states, there there is a. a uh, dependent allowance, but not in every state. But uh, in terms of head of household, no, it's just based on uh, what your prior earnings were. Okay, so what if you end up taking uh, some of this financial relief, and this lasts, let's say, three months, and then you get a fight agreement and you sign it? Once you sign the agreement, you're no longer eligible for it. What is the what is the lag time there? Yeah, once you start work, you're no longer eligible for unemployment insurance. So I may sign an agreement, but actually start work a week from now. I, I'm I'm eligible for benefits until I actually start work. Uh, so okay, but if they're saying that the gym being closed is work, is it training for a fight after a bout agreement is signed also work? It is. Okay. All right. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what about like, okay, that's Bellator, that's UFC. Uh, the, the UFC doesn't have to provide documentation to them. They don't have to send them a note saying, hey, this guy's normally independent, con- or this lady is an independent contractor. They can do that despite the fact that the UFC might be trying at this juncture anyway to put on shows. They merely have to establish the circumstances of their own situation. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, at this point in history, it's not in an employer's interest to contest claims. Um, for independent contractors, it never really matters. But um, for regular employers, I just want to point out that um, in most states, 
their liability for claims is waived right now because COVID isn't the employer's fault. Got it. Okay. So they're not, they're not even on the hook in any capacity. Right. 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 Okay. Now, what if you're like a regional level fighter and you work at a gym or something still kind of eligible, right? Yeah, totally eligible. Um, if your gym is shut down and I, you know, as much as I love training, I hope, I hope that gyms are shut down. Um, you should be able to say that your your place of employment is closed and you can no longer work. Now, this is going to be a different kind of question, not about policy, but about um, here's one thing I anticipate running into with this discussion that we're having, which is that people might say, hey, Michelle obviously knows what she's talking about. This is a great segment. But um, look, I'm not taking assistance. I'm too proud to do that kind of thing. To people who have never, because independent contractors have never quite literally had this kind of compensation before from the federal government. To people who might be too proud to take this money, uh, and again, some may not need it, right? Your John Joneses, Mm -hmm. your Conor McGregor types, they don't need it. Um, Mm -hmm. But for those who may and ordinarily would never be in this kind of position, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, in ordinary times, unemployment insurance is a benefit that you've earned. It's a part of your compensation package, really. Um, In these extraordinary times, unemployment insurance is an important public health measure to keep people at home. We've recognized that people need to stay at home, and Congress has passed legislation replacing 100% of income for for a lot of people because uh, it's really important that people take the money that they're entitled to and stay home. Do you anticipate, and I suppose on some level you have to, right? But to what extent do you anticipate fraud uh, being used in this program by people who may or may not qualify in, in uh, uh, if there was more scrutiny about who was eligible? You know, there's eventually going to be uh, a dissection of who applied and got benefits uh, incorrectly, and they will have to pay those back. Um, but in general, fraud in, in unemployment insurance is, it comes in one of two ways. Um, either people go back to work and they get a benefit for that week that they started work but didn't get a paycheck, um, or uh, they, they um, make a mistake or, or misreport their work searches. Um, mm. Ordinarily, in unemployment ins- insurance, you're supposed to report that you're actually actively looking for work, and these are the people that we've contacted people misreport that. And that's so, so the, the, the causes of fraud are, are, you know, basically those two things, which kind of don't apply right now. Uh, one more of these, actually two more of these. First one, what if you're on it, right? You, you, Cause you need it. You got bills to pay. You get a bout agreement. If you're a fighter, you sign it. Now you're no longer eligible. You do the right thing. You stop taking it, but then your fight, the fights continue to get canceled or postponed because this ongoing crisis just won't seem to end. You thought there was, and there wasn't. Can you get back mm-hmm. on? Yeah, you can always get back on benefits as long as you haven't exhausted the number of weeks that you're eligible. The 39 weeks. Yes. Right. Um, Okay. Is there any part of this I've missed? What are some key pieces of critical information that perhaps I didn't even think to ask because this is all kind of new? What what are some other things that we should know about the situation? Uh, The computer systems that states are using are a little bit overwhelmed. In some states, they're still operating off of a 1970s COBOL mainframe. So it'll take a while to get through. Keep applying. Keep trying. Be persistent. Um, don't be discouraged if you don't don't get through right away. Um, and if you are confident that you really do a, qualify and you get rejected, is there any kind of appeals process? Is there any kind of way to reapply? 
Absolutely. Everyone should be able to appeal through the same uh, state infrastructure. Mm-hmm. All right. So work through your state is basically the idea. And one more time, how folks yeah. can get information, you can just Google unemployment insurance uh, and then go to your local state uh, mm-hmm. website related to that? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Well, Michelle, this is quite helpful. By the way, if folks want more information about the uh, National Employment Law Project and what you do there, what's the best place to get that? Uh, NELP.org. Or uh, follow us on Twitter at, at, at NELP News. Very good. Well, Michelle, uh, I wish we could have reconnected in a different scenario, but this is an important one just the same. I wish you good health through this situation and uh, really appreciate your advice today. It's really great stuff. Same to you. Thanks. WrestleMania 36 is finally here and Busted Open has got you covered this Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern with our WrestleMania pre-show. Dave LaGreca and WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray will get you ready for the biggest pro wrestling event of the year from returning legends. to NXT challengers who will come out on top. It's Busted Open's WrestleMania 36 pre-show only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Bob Arum, who has, I think the guy is hovering close to 90 at this point. I mean, he is old. He has been promoting combat sports since the 60s. And he and Dana White have sparred any number of different times on any number of different issues about whose sport is coming, whose sport is going, who's got the better product, who understands their business partners better. And it was so funny, actually, when UFC and Top Rank, which is the promotion that Bobby Arum runs, both ended up on ESPN. You're like, wow, these two dudes have been talking mad trash about each other for a long time, and they ended up with the same partner, which kind of tells you that like maybe one of the reasons why they hate each other is not that they see each other in themselves, per se, but that they see each other as a worthy adversary. I, I might be making that up, but it just sort of feels that way to me. In any event, he went on Bob Arum, the uh, State of Combat podcast with my Morning Combat co-host, Brian Campbell of CBS Sports. So shouts to uh, Brian. Great job with this. In any event, they talked about a number of different things. And Bob Arum really like took UFC to the woodshed. Now, I've got some... I've got some... I got some information that I think a lot of MMA fans don't know about Bob that's going to temper some of this criticism a little bit. But let's hear what he has to say because Bob is a little bit of a hypocrite. Not in this situation, but Bob's record on promoting fights and really obeying the letter of the law when it comes to what commissions told him to do, it's not perfect, to put it mildly. I'll get to that in a moment. But first, the audio. Let's hear what he has to say. So he was asked about the coronavirus, and like I think the rest of you, Bob might be old as dirt, but even he hasn't seen anything like this. But nothing like this. This is something uh, that uh, you have such an invisible enemy, uh, something that can hit an area, hit a population uh, in no time, uh, that we haven't really experienced it. Yeah, this is a unique challenge for everybody. I think it's a unique challenge for public health officials, for world governments, for local and state, for sports organizations, for television broadcasters, for MMA media folk. Like Everybody is trying to figure out the best way to handle the situation because no one really has best practices here. Some better than others, but there's not a 
there's not a ton of rules written about how to deal with this. We're all just trying to figure it out in real time. Now, with that sort of preamble out of the way, he begins to take it to uh, Dana White. Let's hear what he has to say. He ought to be ashamed of himself with what's going on in this country and the world with this virus. The last thing we need is for an event to take place with no spectators just to put the get the event to take place. But the truth is Dana White is somebody with a flawed intelligence. I mean, as witnessed by the fact that he's one of the chief supporters of our incompetent president. Well, you know, Bob's taking some political digs there, as you might expect that he would. And, of course, you can say, oh, look, he's never going to say anything nice about Dana. Uh, That's not entirely true, but it's generally true. If you're wondering what nice things Bob may have said previously about the UFC, it was the UFC's sort of party atmosphere at live events that really woke him up. Let me give you an example. If you go to a UFC fight, you might take this for granted, but between rounds and in between fights... The house DJ is constantly playing music and the lights are shifting and they're, they're running video packages. That just, you, you take that for granted now. That wasn't the way things were before the UFC really made that popular and then ironed that process out. Now, the UFC's done many other things, but in terms of the live event experience, that's something that boxing promoters and uh, event promoters have learned from the UFC. And Bob has been explicit about that. That's one among many other examples. All right, so he sort of continues... Uh, about his criticisms with Dana White. Let's hear it. He's not going to move forward with the card. And if the card happens with people dying in hospitals all over the United States, he ought to be ashamed of himself. The message should be stay home, stand down until this is over. Let's not spread the virus. Let's control the virus. Let's do what we can to staff these hospitals so we take care of people who go into intensive care. Let's all be big people, big boys about it, and stop the grandstanding. This will end when it ends, and it will end quicker if we all stick together and do what we're supposed to do, not go and and shout from the after that I'm not a pussy, I'm going to put this fight on, I don't care. That is absolutely the wrong message to send. I mean, aside from the personal digs that he takes in any of this, I don't disagree with that sentiment. I've been very clear about it, I think. And then we've had Dr. Margaret Goodman of the, formerly the Nevada Athletic Commission, now of the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association, a credentialed longtime ringside and cage-side physician, essentially echoing the same kind of patience. It's not that there can never be a case to move forward. Rather, it's a different consideration that there's no protocol on this by any relevant athletic commission. We don't really know enough about the virus to understand exactly how it's spread. Now they're saying um, everyone should wear masks because the ability to share it uh, aerially is much more of a grave thought than we had previously considered. There's just a lot we don't know about this, about who's carrying symptoms, who's not, what it means to not carry symptoms, what it means to the incubation period. Like, There's just a lot we don't know about this. I know a lot of folks have been like, oh, as long as there's testing, we're fine. Testing is like, certainly, if you don't have testing, there's just no way you can do it. 
And even if you have testing, you can do it, but there's a lot of other pieces that have to be involved in there. Like, answer the question. You're halfway through your fight week, someone tests positive, uh, and they're on your facility. They're in Las Vegas. What do you do now? What if they test positive the day of the fight? Are you going to test the day of the fight? Even if you have tests, um, shouldn't those go to people who are sick in hospitals? Right? I mean, there's just all kinds of questions about this. You have to have triage centers if someone tests positive. You have to have a quarantine policy in place. Like, There's just a lot that has to happen. It's just not the right time right now. So um, I understand that consideration. The cheap shots, I'll leave to, Bro- to Bob Arum. But the point of criticism there, I think, is directly on the money. Now, he didn't just get into that. He also got into the fact that the, the, the story got kind of buried this week. Namely that... Dana White basically, he didn't formally say he was giving up on Zufa boxing, but he had certainly said that that was not going to be something he, the enthusiasm for the project has waned. Bob Arum has some theories about that. Look, Dana has been a good promoter for UFC. But again, UFC is a monopoly. He tells the fighters who they're going to fight, when they're going to fight, pays them very little as against what professional boxers get. So he's a monopolist. And it's not easy for a monopolist to go into a sport like boxing, which is anti-monopolist. Again, that the characterizations here, we're going to see how the law ultimately assesses them. And, of course, you can make the arguments about what the average boxer makes versus the top one. These are old debates we've had inside MMA. No need to rehash them here. Still, the one sort of kernel of insight there from Bob is, you know, Dana said he was going to go in there and fix boxing. We never never knew exactly what that meant. Like, what did you think was wrong specifically? What was your specific solution? And why won't that work? Part of it could be that there is not the same kind of, what do you want to say, latitude with regula- There's not the same regulatory latitude that there is in, in MMA as there is in boxing. You can do more in MMA. You're much more constricted in boxing. Perhaps that played a role. In fact, that's exactly what Bob Arum thinks. Well, we have very little barriers of entry. We have a lot of promoters, some big promoters, some medium promoters, everybody looking uh, to promote for the best way that they can for themselves. And Dana White could not exist in that type of milieu. He only can exist in an, in an atmosphere where he is the dominant monopolistic person. And then lastly, he thinks UFC violates federal law. Now it doesn't, but Let's hear what he has to say. I'm telling you, there is something about the operation of the UFC, which is a violation of federal law. Now, you can't do that in boxing because of the Muhammad Ali Act, which for reasons only known uh, to him, doesn't apply to UFC. Why? I don't know. But the Muhammad Ali Act, at least gives rights uh, to fighters, to managers, and prevents a monopoly-like situation. Again, we'll see what the courts have to say about that. He could end up being proven right. He could end up being proven wrong. 
these are judgments that have to be ultimately determined by a judge in this case, and we just don't have we're not we're not that far along in the process. But it's interesting that whatever you make of the arguments, it's interesting that the line of attack from Bob focuses around considerations currently being addressed via the court system. Now, I don't know exactly to what extent coronavirus is going to impact hearings or advancement in that trial. God only knows what it's going to do to everything at this point. But I find that kind of interesting. I find it interesting that what he's really focused in on is, um, su- you know, he, really to me, the substance of the attack, like all the headlines was about, oh, Dana White's putting on shows during a pandemic isn't that bad. But really the substance of the critique is that here's a guy who wanted to get into boxing, failed, because the only way he can win is by being somebody who was an early adopter uh, uh, and essentially took advantage of a lax regulatory platform. Now, you can agree with that characterization or you can disagree with that characterization, but the big takeaway from that for me is he's essentially saying you're a lesser promoter by virtue of the rules in which I can thrive, you can't. That's essentially what he's saying there. Kind of an interesting critique. I had mentioned that Bob Arum sometimes plays fast and loose a little bit with the facts. Now, the substance of his critique, I think, is good. And I want to be very clear about this. Every time in MMA, when someone makes an argument, we, without ever addressing the merits of the argument, we always just say, well, the ex-person's got this kind of axe to grind, so there could be no value to it. Or this person's so-and-so's teammate, so there can be no value to it. Those are things you should consider. What kind of alliances or disputes or reasons for accepting or rejecting an argument or making one someone might have. I'm not here to dismiss that, but my only problem is people only focus on that. That being said, folks forget about this. Uh, this might, I, I don't think this is the only one, um, but I remember distinctly Pacquiao versus Margarito, well, they were trying to get that in either Nevada or California, and Margarito was having trouble getting a license. I don't remember if it was just related to his eye or if it was related to the hand wrapping incident. I think it was related to his eye. Um, but California refused to license him, and Nevada just tabled it. So when Aram realized he couldn't get either of those states, he punted. And do you know where he went? <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Texas. They actually held the in, – in fairness to him, because he's a good promoter, they held it in the anti, AT&T Stadium, the, the Cowboys Stadium, Jerry's World, but uh, or Jerry World, whatever. But – just pointing out, I mean, that's basically commission shopping. I mean, that's my opinion, but that's basically commission shopping, right? So, uh, and I think also they did that when Margarito had trouble getting licensed in New York. And, uh, you know, they really lobbied on behalf of him getting it. Uh, and they New York was like real wishy-washy with the eye. And I think, I don't think he outright threatened that he would move the fight. But since he had previously done it, I think New York was like, well, we might lose this fight. So they kind of went ahead and licensed it anyway. So... Um, just to point that out about Bob Arum, all right, just giving you all the facts on that. Still, I think he's right about the UFC putting on shows. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barak Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Now, I told you that we had some John Jones news to get to. We do. 
couple of things. First of all, there is an update as it relates to his legal situation. First of all, everyone knows March 26th, he got arrested, DWI, aggravated DWI, negligent use of a firearm, a couple of the charges. Um, so he has a plea deal. According to the plea deal, John is going to face uh, four days house arrest. I mean, you're four days house arrest in a pandemic. Uh, it's just, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's fine. I don't care. One year supervised probation, 90 days of outpatient therapy. He was fined $5,000. He does avoid jail time as long as he satisfies the terms of the deal. Stephen Morocco of MMA Fighting had reported that a lot of uh, various legal systems throughout the course of the country are going to be looking at not putting people in jail as a consequence of the coronavirus. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't care what happens to prisoners, but there's a lot of legal uh, ramifications where you know, if, the, if coronavirus burns its way through a jail or a prison and a lot of people sick and die, you can imagine there's not going to be a lot of necessarily PPE for any of the healthcare officials there, um, and there's not going to be a lot of masks for the prisoners, and you have a lot of death on your hands, including but not limited to the prisoners, because you're going to have it with the I mean, other officials in the jail are going to get it too as a consequence. It, it's going to be a bit of a nightmare, right? It's going to be a huge nightmare for for everybody. So they're just trying, like if you're a non-violent offender or some kind of low-level offense, they're trying to keep you out. That's his speculation. As we'd indicated, um, and also Stephen Morocco reported that the, according to the um, it's the Albuquerque PD or the uh, district, no, the district attorney's office, ordinarily that they'd be looking at something closer to jail time for an offense like this, but they just don't have the current bandwidth for it, um, given some of these larger pandemic considerations. And again, you might think it's a good thing. You might think it's a bad thing, but it's a thing. Now, 32 years old, that's where he finds himself. So uh, I know a lot of people are really upset. They're like slap on the wrist, blah, blah, blah. I saw some jokes like John's still undefeated, right? Um, yeah, I suppose so, right? The guy just seems to be able to avoid the worst of things in ways that you or I probably would not be able to. And part of that's the way the world works. Part of it is, like, I'm not even sure he's being serviced by this. Like, he's being serviced in the sense that he's not going to have to go to jail, it appears. But, like, you have to ask yourself a really question. Is that actually in his best interest in terms of solving his problems? I mean, one consideration is, should he go to jail? Not prison, but should he go to jail just as a matter of punishment for misdeeds? Another one is, should he do that as a way to help him on his journey to getting to a better place in his life? I mean, ultimately, isn't jail or prison, at least in theory, isn't it supposed to be rehabilitative? Right? Isn't that supposed to be a thing? In any event, he put out a statement through his, I guess, his attorney. It wasn't issued to me. Uh, through his management team. Yeah, no shock, shocker, it wasn't issued to me. Uh, here's what it says. Let me read it to you. I I hesitate to even read it because, to be honest, I don't even care about it. And I don't think you should care about it either. But here's what it says. While we all work to understand and cope with the stress and uncertainty surrounding the current state of our world, I want to express how truly disappointed I am, this is John talking, that I have become the source of a negative headline again, especially during these trying times. I am disappointed for letting down the people I care about the most, my family, friends, and fans. This morning I entered into a plea deal with the Albuquerque DA's office. I accept full responsibility for my actions, and I know that I have some personal work to do, which involves the unhealthy relationship I have with alcohol. Yeah, you don't say. I have dedicated so much time and energy to improve my community, and I will not allow this personal setback to hinder my work within the community when we need it most. 
I truly appreciate the support I've received from the community of Albuquerque and all my fans around the world. I'm very much looking forward to putting this behind me. Thank you all for your continued love and support, and please take care of yourselves. Um, what do I have to say about that? I don't care about that message at all. Now, look, uh, it's not a badly, it's not a, it's not a poorly crafted message. Whoever wrote it did a really good job. Parts of it might be sincere in the sense that they believe it. All of it might be sincere in the sense that they believe it. It's not even that I can say I don't believe it. I just don't care. I don't care about PR statements anymore. I don't care about sit-down interviews where I've really reflected on the situation. Not right now, I don't. Maybe in the future I might. I don't now. I don't care about, you know social media sentiments of positivity. All that is just bullshit right now to me, you know, which isn't, again, I, I'm not here to tell you that, that what he wrote was inauthentic. I'm telling you my perception of it is one where I just don't care, right? The same answer I've been giving, I think holds up for all these many years. What is it going to take for John to realize um, that he needs to make a change for him to realize He's given up X and he's sacrificing Y and he's wasting Z. And the answer is whenever he wants it and not until then. And just because you want it doesn't mean you're going to be able to go through with it. It's hard. It's difficult, right? It's not an easy problem to fix. This is not some kind of automatic solution. You can just find willy nilly throughout the, you know, just on your own, to just kind of arrive at this position. You have to deeply, profoundly, truly want something different with your life. And you have to understand why you might be going to these activities, driving drunk and whatever else. I mean, God only knows what else was in the system, potentially. Uh, or how many, again, how many other times this has happened without the police becoming aware of it. I mean, who knows? Um, that's, that's speculation and perhaps that's unfair. But I'm just trying to, you know, do I think the only times he's ever broken the law related to this are the only times he's ever been caught. I, I, I doubt that. I sincerely doubt that. And so to me, my message of him needing to get help, like I'm not going to make fun of him. I'm not going to, and, and I know big John was berating him and perhaps that's medically advisable. I don't know what the situation is there. I'm just telling you, it's like, dude, can you really as a, as a, a media observer or even a fan at this point, can you really look at that statement and say, I believe that? Which doesn't mean what he's saying is not true. That's not the point. The point is, do, upon what basis can you really decide that this time it's different? At this moment, anyway. Without seeing subsequent actions that result from this. How can you possibly know? How can you, at what level could you ever make that evaluation? You can't. There's no way to know. Not possible. You would just be taking a leap of faith. And maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe you are maybe you are a John Jones fan. And what you want to do right now is extend him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, that's your life to live. That's fine. Maybe you're a John Jones fan. And what you want to do is just say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to believe it until I have a reason not to believe it. Okay, that's your choice. I'm going to not believe it until I have a reason to believe it. I'm going to go the exact opposite. Because the hard work of getting right doesn't happen with PR statements and community service and long sit-downs with MMA media figures 
who are there to be like an Oprah where they just want to hear what you have to say without really any kind of the whole, the whole thing is designed to launder image. You can save it. You can save it for somebody else. I, I wish for him nothing more than getting right and finding a place in his life to get right with the right kind of treatment, the right kind of perspective, the right kind of environment, and the right kind of work that goes into putting yourself in a position where those things can be successful. And it's a, it's a, it's a well-written statement. And I understand the job of his people is to make a well-written statement in the hopes that you can minimize the damage and acknowledge some of the wrongdoing. Fine. I don't begrudge people for doing their job. Not at all. Not at all. That's what you have to do. But I just don't know how at this point you can listen to these messages and anticipate what's coming next with, I'm going to go speak at this homeless shelter and blah, blah, blah. I don't care about speaking at homeless shelters. I don't care about speaking to kids. I don't care about picking trash up along the highway. I don't care about craft, you know, perfectly crafted PR messages. I care about the real work of looking inside, seeing what's wrong, taking meaningful steps to address it, and using that as a platform to live your best life for John and for everybody who might be suffering from any kind of particular condition. That's it. I don't care about anything else. And how we make that judgment, I don't know. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But right now, you know, managers and agents need to do the job that they need to do. And helping John in the short term maybe involves that. But my recommendation to you would be not to hate on him, not to send him angry messages, not to tell him what a fuck up he is. Although, you know, there might be some level to that, people close to him telling him that. But, you know, just the avalanche of fan pushback. I don't think there's any value to that for him. Um, it's not that the message shouldn't be heard. It's like, who's the appropriate messenger? But right now, what he needs is a lot of time to look inside. And I just don't care about trying to craft an image to repair it so he can get sponsors later on. Or, you know... So that questions at a press conference don't become awkward. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about him as a person getting right with the things that need to happen for that, for that to be the case. And I just don't know how close we are to any of that, to be honest with you. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.